Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? I'm Darren Waller. I'm tied in for the New York Giants. I'm also a husband, a brother, a son, an artist. Uh, welcome back to Comeback Stories. And I'm Donnie Starkins, yoga meditation teacher, personal development coach, and it's good to be back on the platform for Comeback Stories. We've got a special guest today, a man who's had a comeback story, but we'll let him tell you that he's been here for years. Uh, we've got Michael Smith. Michael, welcome to the show, man. It's good to be with you, fellas. It's really good to be with y'all. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, big fan of what y'all are doing. But Darren, can I start with a question? Just curious. Have you gotten used to saying tight end for the New York Giants yet? Or is it still something you got to remind yourself to say? Uh, I'm st- still working out the kinks on it, man. Uh, it, it's uh, yeah. it, it's it's still like, wow, this is really true. And then it's like still putting on like blue shirts and, and, and blue workout yeah. gear. I'm like, this is taking a little bit of time. It's cool. But yeah, it's still got still got to get used to it a little bit. Before we get into your story, I know that you're somebody that has uh, lived some of your career on big stages in front of people, in front of mm-hmm. all of America in, in, in certain points of your career. Could you speak to some of that pressure? Because I know that I can relate and I can talk about the, all the fans and the, the game and all the pressure that that brings for me to succeed and, and make money and all those things. But what is it like from your perspective? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I would say if I could relate it to, to what you do is, is reps, you know, and, and the more reps you do, the more comfortable you get. Um, the more you stop thinking, the more it slows down. I, I remember the first time I did television, uh, I was in Boston and cause I didn't go to school for television, mind you. I went to school to be a print journalist. 
Matter of fact, I looked down my nose at television people because I was like, oh, you, you are real journalists. You know, you just, you and your, your makeup and your cameras and you, you know, you don't, you ain't telling the real stories or real, real journalism is the written word. I was one of those guys, even as a young kid. And so, uh, I was at the Boston Globe and I would have been, um, you know, about 22 years old or something like that. Uh, maybe even younger. And I went on a local television show and I remember just shaking. You know, like, I mean, just like bouncing my leg and my, I just was so nervous. I don't even remember if I can get a, a sentence out cleanly and, you know, fast forward. And, and thankfully people didn't give up on me. And after doing thousands of hours of it, uh, it just became second nature. And the best advice I got uh, along the way was just to get better at being myself. And so I stopped uh, magnifying mistakes. Uh, I stopped uh, worrying about uh, honestly, what people thought. I never think about the people on the other side of that red light. So I, I imagine you might block out the people in the stands and just, you know, focus on the person in front of you. I focus on the person next to me. Uh, I focus on the story I want to tell. I focus on the point I want to make. And it went from a nervous energy to an exciting energy. And I get a rush when that red light comes on. So I don't think of it as pressure as much as it is a privilege. And it became fun uh, over the years just to connect with people, even if I couldn't see them or I didn't know them, I'm, I'm connecting with people uh, through that camera lens and on the other side of that red light. It's beautiful, man. Well, you started your career as a sports writer, right? And then 15 years with ESPN in a variety of roles, reporter, host, commentator, anchor on SportsCenter. But now you kind of are wearing multiple hats across the industry of Peacock shows with my main man, Michael Smith, and brother from another with NFL Insider on Amazon on the Thursday night yeah. show. And you're a media entrepreneur. You're the reason why we're here sitting together as the, the leader yeah. of this company. So, but most yeah. importantly, you're a husband of Sarah and a father of three. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a proper intro, but with oh, that being... That. Yeah. With that being said, maybe you can take us back. Darren and I always dive deep and we go right into the story and we would just like to know um, some context and maybe tell us what it was like growing up for you. Sure. Uh, I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, I'm the oldest of two. You know, my mom and my dad uh, raised me until they got divorced about you know, when I was about 10 and my stepdad uh, came into our lives and loved us like we were his own. Uh, I am the grandson of a Baptist pastor. So I'm a preacher's grandkid, uh, served on the usher board. So one of the reasons I'm long-winded is I got it. It runs in my family. You know, people say I'm a bit of a preacher on, on television. I, I, I got it. I got it honestly, if you will. Grew up in New Orleans and, and grew up uh, around a lot of love, man. You know, and when I was growing up, New Orleans was, was, was a rough place. You know, I probably had the highest murder rate per capita in the United States at the time. But I was I was shielded from a lot of that, to be honest with you. You know, I was aware of it, but you know, I I I didn't want for anything growing up. Uh, we weren't rich, but you know, my mom did what she had to do to take care of us. My stepdad took care of us. I had a relationship, continued relationship with my father. Uh, had a lot of role models. Uh, went to McDonald Thirty Five, uh, the first all black high school uh, in New Orleans, uh, a nationally recognized blue ribbon school. So I had a great education. I uh, went to Loyola University in New Orleans, so I stayed close to home and close to my family uh, until I graduated and I moved to to Boston right out of college to work for the Boston Globe. But yeah, I would say just my upbringing, man, it's just I had so many people, you know, I had a village, really simple and plain, whether it's my, my church family, my immediate family, my extended family, uh, the community. I just had a lot of a lot of people behind me 
pushing me toward success. And, I, and, and I'm really, really grateful for it. I got nothing but fond memories. You know, as a father, I, I often say, you know, our, our job is to get our children to adulthood with as few scars as possible, physical and emotional and mental. I know that I, I am so blessed and so fortunate to be able to, to say that I, I didn't carry any trauma throughout my childhood um, and into adulthood. And, and, it, and I think it's, it's just one of the, it's, it's something I did not have to overcome, quite honestly, uh, when it came to being a father and a husband, you know, and a citizen myself. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for everybody that poured into me as a kid. And I wouldn't be where I am uh, without my family. And uh, like I said, without my community, without that village. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of lot of support and a lot of love and, and maybe not a lot yeah. of trauma. But can you go back and can you remember an early memory of of struggle or pain or anything that you saw in the world that kind of impacted you? You know, I would I would say initially, you know, my parents separated quite a bit. They were kind of they were always married, but on and off. You know what I mean? And so we moved around a lot. Um, my dad was kind of in and out of uh I wouldn't say in and out of the picture because he was always, you know, we we're always connected and close and he was always there. But in terms of like the nuclear family and in and, and, and the household kind of in and out, as I recall. And then they got divorced a little bit after uh, a little while after I turned 10. Initially, that was tough. But like I said, I give a lot of credit to my stepdad, you know, um, for coming in and, and loving two boys that weren't his as if they were his. So that, that was that could have been challenging and and maybe it is in ways that I haven't unpacked yet, but you know, well, the, my grandfather was like a father to me. My uncle was like a father to me, you know, uncles for that matter, you know, and, and I was all, and, I, and again, my stepdad stepped up and then there's teachers who looked after me. So for some children that might've been traumatic uh, and, and we haven't really talked about it, but I think it affected my younger brother, maybe more than it affected me. At least on a, on a level that I'm aware of. Again, it may be some stuff beneath the surface that I just haven't gotten to. So, so I'm not going to say it didn't affect me. Um, I guess it says something that was the first thing I, I referenced, right? Um, beyond that, yeah, I would, I would say, I would say there was enough of a, of a cushion and enough of a, a cocoon and enough arms being, you know, put around me to where I wouldn't say that I, I missed. And again, my dad wasn't around. He moved away and lived in Miami. I lived in New Orleans, but it wasn't like he wasn't there. When you know, when I told my ACL my senior year of high school playing football, he was at that game and he was there. You know, so you know, I, I don't want to paint the picture like you know, like I was abandoned. No, far from it. But that was an adjustment and, and, a, and a challenge more than it was, I would say, a struggle. But if I had to point to probably the, the most traumatic thing. Um, as it relates to my family, I was older and I, and I had grown up and I, you know, moved to Boston and, and just started my family. But obviously Hurricane Katrina, uh, was very difficult, uh, for my family. They had to evacuate, uh, to Boston and, and live with me and, and my wife. My, my parents lost everything. My, my, my grandparents or my grandmother, my, my grandfather had passed by then. My grandmother lost everything, you know, displacement that there, that trauma is real and it's still is generational and i still don't know that we've properly identified how how much that reverberates or you know from the generations uh of people who experienced katrina as adults as kids and even their kids um, i don't know that we can properly quantify that but yeah i, I would i would say i would say that split uh between, between my parents is the, probably the earliest memory Beyond that, um, my the 18 years I spent under my, my mom's roof, 
you know, it wasn't always, you know, peaches and cream. You know what I'm saying? You know, I got into it with my stepdad. I was a hardhead. You know, I was in, you know, but I didn't get in any trouble. I didn't run with the wrong crowd. And I think part of that, too, is just like, A, being a preacher's kid and my, my, my grandfather, you know, was was kind of a big deal in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Um, you know, his church was the first one broadcast over the radio. So it's like people kind of knew who I was and they knew where I was going. And so I lived in a, in a pretty decent part of town, even the opportunities to stray were met with, Hey man, you know, you're a straight A student, you know, this, this, this ain't for you. You're, you're on a, you're on a path. Let's keep you on that path. You know what I'm saying? I can relate a lot to what you said about my parents divorced when I was seven. And I would always say this was up until about two years ago and I'm uh, 45 years old now, but I would always say my parents made the best out of a, what could have been a bad situation. They, you know, I, they got yeah. divorced when I was seven or eight. They've always been cordial. They really did, and from my perspective, yeah. seem like they were making it about the kids. But it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I, with some outside help and therapy, that I identified that I'm the youngest of four and ultimately went to live with my dad. I would see my mom a couple times a week. But the there's like legit trauma there that I never even realized because it's like now I'm separated from my mom and I'm the youngest of four and I'm a mama's boy. And there was, there was a lot there and I never really realized it. And, um, you know, with that new awareness, it was just like, oh, actually that probably did have an impact on me. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I can relate a lot to, to what you're sharing. And it was like, I just assumed that this was, it was kind of normal. We just adapted. Michael, you've, uh, discussing your pain with, as far as your parents' separation, I want to know what role did your passion for storytelling play in the process? Was that uh, a way for you to escape that or was it a way to find joy in that process like take me through your journey as developing your passion at the same time of dealing with this pain yeah i would say you know i don't i didn't grow up i wasn't a germ i didn't i didn't write stories i wasn't somebody who kept a journal i always loved movies always loved movies and my uncle and i my grandfather and i and even my grandmother as well bonded over movies we watch, we watched the same movies all over all, all the time over and over again um and because again i grew up the grandson of a Baptist pastor and first lady. It was only certain types of movies we could watch from my grandparents' house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I could, I could, I could throw on, you know, uh, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy Raw or, or something like that <laughs> at my grandparents' house. Right. But uh, you know, love always loved movies as much as 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 I love sports. My grandfather and I would have a race to the newspaper to uh, get the sports section. Um, to read about the Saints and 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 the dispatches from Lacrosse, Wisconsin, and training camp. And looking back, that I, that's the origin of my obsession with team building, with reporting, with detail. And uh, and I just read I read the sports section in particular, cover to cover. And in terms of writing, I guess that really, I got pushed into that more by my high school teachers who who thought I had a gift for it. I didn't I didn't I did not grow up with a dream of being a sports writer, which I ended up being right out of college or during college. But what's interesting is it's something how you manifest stuff and don't even know it. So I was the uh, salutatorian in my high school graduating class, class 97, the local newspaper, the Times-Picayune, which I would go on to work at the Times-Picayune. They did like a little Q&A with me and they asked me what my dream job was. And would you believe at 17 years old, I said sports center anchor. And I, and I, I think it was because I grew up watching like a Stuart Scott it was inspired by that. And, and like everybody else was obsessed with, you know, ESPN. And I didn't pursue broadcasting 
Uh, I ended up, you know, like I said, doing a high school internship at the time, speaking in, uh, doing a college internship at the time, speaking in New Orleans, and then twice at the Boston Globe for two summers. And when I got out of college, uh, I was, uh, you know, I obviously went to, back to the Boston Globe to work full time. And even that first internship at the time, speaking you only came about because I was like, well, do I go to summer school? Do I get a summer job? And they called me and it was like, hey, we've never had a sports intern. Would you like to be our sports intern? And I was like, sure. You mean I get paid to write about sports? <laughs> Sign me up. And honestly, that's where that's where it started. It started from, again, somebody looking out for me and handing me an opportunity. And, and I just took it and ran with it. it. It looks like from you had a pretty good job again with the Boston Globe, like right out of college. Yeah. It looked like you yeah. had a lot of ambition to to pursue this. And it looked like it, it, it served you in a way. But ultimately, with uh, we'll get into how your story ends up playing out. Do you ever feel like um, your ambition was like hindering you in a way or hindering maybe your perspective potentially at any point in your journey? Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, we could, be, we could, just, we could spend all day just on that. You know, like I, I think bec- and because my career was on such a fast track. So was, like just a, a little quick recap. It was like so I interned at the time speaking unit after my freshman year of college. Then I interned at the Boston Globe after my sophomore and junior years. And there had never been a two-time Boston Globe intern, let alone sports intern. And at the time, the Boston Globe was the premier or preeminent sports section in the country. Like, all talk about super team, dream team, Boston Globe sports staff, right? So then they say, come back after college. So I'm 21 years old at the Boston Globe. They knew how much I loved covering pro football. So I'm helping out, not the main beat writer, but the backup beat writer on the Patriots beat. And if you do the math, that's... The two, that's the 2001 season, 2002 Super Bowl. So I'm back in New Orleans less than a year after graduating high school, covering the Super Bowl for the Boston Globe. So you want to talk about perspective? I had none. Okay. And then two years later, they start a TV show where they're going to put cameras in an inside of a newsroom and it's going to be sports writers from around the country arguing. 20 years later, that TV, that TV show is still on television. That's around the horn. So I'm 23, 24 years old on national freaking television on ESPN, okay? And then at 24 years old, ESPN's like, hey, why don't you come work for us full time? So the the very thing that people spend their whole lives trying to achieve and the place they spend their whole careers trying to get to, I was there three years out of college. I had a cup of coffee at the Boston Globe Farm at ESPN on national television. And so I, and so what I, the only regret I have, Darren, is that I never appreciated the journey because I was always so fixated on what was next and more and, 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 and the rat race. And I never appreciated how far I come and how quickly I come that far. And I, and I, and I don't think I enjoyed it as much, to be honest with you. I don't think I enjoy what I was doing. And, um, it, it took a while for me to get to a place of enjoying what I was doing. And by a while, I mean, only really the last few years, uh, for me to really appreciate what I did, what I had the opportunity to do. Um, what I achieved and how I achieved it. But man, I mean, I just, it, it, it's almost like a rookie that just kind of like dominates right out the game. Like, oh, this is easy. Or, you know, like Dan, Dan Marino back in the day going to the Super Bowl his second year. Like, oh, I'm going to be here all the time. It, it, it was, it was kind of like that for me. It's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. And so I was completely devoid of perspective. Yes, 100%. Mm, so what you're saying is it almost is like you had to have it um, taken from you to really appreciate it. That's exactly right. You, boy, you're good at this. Yes. <laughs> you are, you, you, you are seeing right through me, man. Yes. That's exactly right. I, uh, I had to, uh, I had to 
experience. So that's another thing, man. Like I was, I did not know what professional adversity was. Most people, you know, have to grind and, and they have to start off in like a small market. And, and you know, I, I made more money my first job out of college than my parents made in any year or years combined my entire life, like right out of college, you know? Um, and then I go to ESPN and I make X times that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so I just never experienced the rough side of the mountain that so many people have to experience in this business out of college, whether it's freelancing or whether it's working at a small market or, you know, I was just, it all came so quickly and so easily. It wasn't until, you know, my late thirties that I actually, that, that linear or that, or that, that, that accelerated path, um, that meteoric rise was interrupted. And so that was challenging to, like you said, to, to have it taken away from me. And yes, the, the, the blessing in the struggle was being able to appreciate uh, what I'd done, what I'd accomplished, what I'd experienced, what I've been blessed with and gifted with, but also honestly, you know, look at myself um, in a different way. And, and, that, and that, that was, that was helpful. And I needed that. I needed that struggle to, uh, to, to better appreciate my blessings. I counted my blessings uh, more deliberately when it got hard. And, and, and that, and that was, uh, I, I appreciate that. Cause I don't, I think maybe I would have just gone on taking it all for granted and thinking that it was normal, you know? It's like, you don't know what you have until it's, until it's gone. And, um, space, I always like to say space, space creates appreciation. And I've heard you mm -hmm. say early on that you were allowing your ambition. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I mean, interrupt you. Cause see, I was, so I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm also hit the sidebar real quick. No, I was just trying to thought, um, my, my stepdad is an accomplished singer and my parents have an R and B band down in New Orleans. Right. So I, we had all, I, I grew up around a musical family, like vinyl everywhere, band rehearsal in the living room. And so you said space, space, uh, creates appreciation. My mind went to Jeffrey Osborne and LTD concentrate on you. It takes separation to bring appreciation. So you preach it right there. That, that's, that's, I, I use that line all the time. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal. Unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 infinity QX 80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson yards in New York city featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> 
Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my dance, bro. <laughs> Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And, and But you had said yeah. early on, I've heard you say that you let your ambition get in the way of your appreciation. Yeah. And that's so, so early or so often early in your career, it was seeking external validation, which, of course, if you're in your 20, 22, 23 years old, I... I it brought me back to where I was at at that age and just so concerned with what other people thought about me, the external, other people's opinions, because I had no tools. I'm still a young kid. You know, even just performance-based sports, everything is statistics. If you, you got to be good enough to make the team and then to make the team, you got to, it was all about other people's opinions. And so it would make sense that you were so, so much seeking for that external validation because you're just a kid still thrust into that world. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was as much seeking external validation because I mean, I, I think it might actually, honestly, Donnie, it might have been the opposite extreme, which is like you couldn't tell me shit. <laughs> it's like you could. I mean, I'm 23, 24 years old at ESPN on national television with people twice my age, if not more, holding my own. I I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I had all the answers, and I that lack of perspective manifested itself in being impatient. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I wanted things that, frankly, I was not ready for. You know, I, I, I didn't trust the process. You know, I can only imagine how people, listen, no matter how much of a wonderkind I was, no matter how much of a prodigy I was, I can only imagine how people who had grinded and paid their dues and, and experienced things and seen things must have looked at this kid you know, who, and it's not that I lacked humility. I, I think I've always carried myself with a level of humility, but, you know, I just, I didn't understand what it meant to just kind of like wait my turn and, and how everything came would come in due time in accordance with God's plan. It's like, I wanted, I wanted it all. I wanted it now. You know what I mean? If I didn't get it now, I'm like, well, why am I not getting it now? You know, I'm now it's not, it's, Maybe this is somewhat external validation, maybe, or it's, maybe it's a very close relative of external validation, but it's like comparing myself to other people. Or, or why is he doing that and I'm not? You know, or why is he getting that and I'm not? You know, I'm, I'm better than him and I should be here and I should be doing this and I should have that. And, you know, it's like that type of stuff, that comparison game. And by the way, this is pre-social media. 
you know, I mean, because it only amplified with social media, the highlight film that everybody is paying attention to. Yeah, I think a lot of that robbed me of that perspective that we alluded to earlier. When you talk about the the level of confidence and ego that you have, like I'm I'm him, like I'm mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like for me, in my experience, when um, moments that come that may threaten that thought I have about myself, it's easy for me to slip into self doubt. Do you feel like you felt that way when it seemed like the career that you built was now um, uncertain? Yes, and that, and that always confused me. Maybe y'all can help me with that because. You know, there was a lot. There were times, despite my confidence and bravado and, and how self-assured I was, there was also some imposter syndrome. And I'm not sure how those two things can coexist. I'm not sophisticated enough to break down how those can co- coexist because I always thought that it's, am I going to get exposed? And then when I would, you know, and, and when I say I did not experience real professional adversity back in those days, and I guess we're at the time period where I'm in my early 20s and I'm, and I'm on the fast track and, and in my mid-20s or whatever. Back in those days, I thought I was experiencing adversity, but didn't really know what adversity was in hindsight, right? You know, there was a lot of, uh, well, you know, am I as good as I think I am? And, and okay, Donnie, there's the external validation, right? Uh, so it was like, am, am I really, am I really him? Am I fooling myself? You know, uh, maybe I, maybe I'm not all that in a bag of chips, you know, and, and maybe this is all there is for me. Um, and maybe what I want and what I'm dreaming of will never come. Maybe it's not for me. And then there was also the resentment. So that's the internal part. Then there's the, well, they don't appreciate me. You know, they, they, they don't, they, they don't, they don't see the star that I am. They don't, you know, they, I'm not getting what I deserve. You know, they sleeping on you, boy, all, all that type of stuff. So it's, it kind of vacillated between, uh, some self doubt and then some resentment and frustration and professional frustration about feeling like I wasn't getting, you know, what I wanted, um, you know, or, or what I deserved better, better yet what I deserved. Um, when I should have gotten it. Darren, can you relate to that imposter syndrome? I know we've talked about it a bunch. I know I have it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and how you work through that on the stage that you have. Oh yeah. I got, I have two, I have two things for you. Uh, one, I don't know if I've shared either one of these, but one is, uh, 2020, we played the New York Jets, which is actually the day before was the day we recorded the very first episode of comeback stories had to plug that in there. Um, but the jets game, I had 200 yards receiving that game and very easily could have been more if there were a couple little, little things that I, uh, could have done differently. But the next practice we have on Wednesday, I think I drop a pass like in routes on air. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm building a house out here. They're going to ship me out of this place. Like that's how quick my mind can shift. Uh, 200 yards, I think there's only been four tight ends in the history of the NFL that have ever done what I've just done. And I come and I meet a moment of not even real adversity, just a human experience in this game that I play. And I'm so quick to go to the complete other end of the spectrum. And my sponsor paints a picture that's so vivid. If you look at a spectrum, right, and there's a, there's a, a one and a 10. A 10 is your being an egomaniac and a one would be you're so anti-ego that you don't even really have true humility or affirm your own strengths. And my sponsor's like, brother, we got to get you to a five, like meditate on that. Like, what does a five look like? What does a balance look like to where you can show up and be confident in what you bring to the table without having to flex it on everybody else or be seen for it, but really to truly just embody 
your truest energy and your truest self and and show up in that manner. And it's still an ongoing practice for me. I'm sure it's an ongoing practice for all of us. It's something that we have to keep in the forefront of our mind. And Michael, I feel like you're starting and really starting to get that because you've experienced what people would see as shiny and sexy success being on mm-hmm. the 6 p.m. Sports Center slot. But that wasn't ultimately fulfilling for you. But now being able to be in a position where telling your own stories and doing what you want to do is that much more fulfilling. Like, how does one arrive to that point? How did I arrive to that point? Um, One of the things I like about this show, you know, as a storyteller, it certainly resonates with me, is how you guys talk about the story you tell yourselves. So, all right, I'll try to... It's very, very complicated. Literally, books have been written about it. (laughs) But I'll try to summarize uh, the, the inflection point. You know, which is why I named my company Inflection Point Entertainment uh, when I founded it back in 2020, because that's when the story gets good. Sometimes you just don't know it. Uh, I get my own show back in 2011. I would have been, if my math is right, that's what, 32. It becomes a hit around 2014. It really starts to take off. 2017, uh, I get that job that I manifested as a teenager. I had no idea what I was saying as a sports center anchor on a 6 p.m. sports center. In short, it was a it was a disaster uh, for a number of reasons, which we can get into or we could save it for another time because uh, y'all only got so much time. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was in professional limbo from, uh, I would say, 2018. March 9th, 2018 was my last sports center. March 9th of 2018 to September of 2019. It's about 18 months. I was in professional limbo, just kind of off the grid. I was off the grid, but I was in my own head quite a bit. And it took me a while and a couple of startups to get to a point where I started to tell myself the story in which that chapter, that ESPN chapter or chapters were necessary and be grateful for those chapters. Because like with every story, those chapters proceeded and set up and laid the foundation for what was to come. And once I could get past my bitterness and resentment that I felt about how what I think if I may say so was a damn good 15 year run how it ended I was able to appreciate it and count it all joy and 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 celebrate it and not be ashamed of anything um and even the idea I was thinking about this you know I was gonna talk to you guys the idea of a comeback right when I think of comebacks I think of well I'm trailing or I'm losing or I'm behind but according to whose scoreboard, right? It's like, you know, I was winning the whole time, but my perspective was I had suffered a loss or a setback. I wasn't, it wasn't a setback. It was just the end of one chapter, but the beginning of another one. And I was just moving in a different direction, but still moving forward nonetheless. I had to, I had to like, you know, repent, which means to change your mind. I had to, I had to change my mind and my paradigm from, man, I'm holding an L to, okay, I'm actually being pushed and moved into more of my purpose. Um, I was using this comparison with somebody earlier. It's kind of like, it's kind of like renting a house versus buying it. You know, like owning a house is a pain in the ass, you know, but I wouldn't rent. I prefer to own my own home. And now I'm owning my career in a way that I didn't, no matter how much I was getting paid, no matter how recognizable I was, no matter how successful I was, I didn't own those ideas and intellectual property. I didn't own that platform. And I learned that the hard way, right? 
I now can tell my own stories and empower other people to tell their stories and to own their stories and to own their narratives. And that started with me owning, like as you guys often say, owning my own narrative and not letting other people write my story for me. Like what kind, not only what kind of story am I going to tell myself, but what kind of story am I writing for myself? And what is my next chapter? Who are the characters that need to be written out of my story? Who are the people that I want to introduce into my story? Where do I want to take my story? Like I'm in complete control of how I, I contextualize that. And it just took me a while, a lot of dark days, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of anxiety to, to work through that, to be comfortable with where I was and where I was going. To answer your question, like that's how I got to a point where I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing because my next chapter is challenging in a way that my last one wasn't, you know, and even if I don't, you know, uh, succeed in the same ways, successes look different. And so now I'm keeping my own score. And so my wins are, 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 are up to me to determine what are my wins or if I view something as a loss. And that was the shift for me is to not look at the way things ended at ESPN as a loss, as a setback from which I had to come back from like, no, it was just a setup for what was next. Ownership that, that we were just talking about this on a previous conversation, Darren and I were having where my life completely changed when I started to take ownership and started blame, stop blaming everybody else for, for my problems. Oh, yeah. And oh, you yeah. also mentioned success. And I think it's so important to come up with our own definition of success because the hook, and I think why a lot of people are unhappy is because they're basing their success on somebody else's definition, which is why it's so important right. to right. to look at our values and, and come up with our, our own definition of success with that gap and and not working. It was two, I think you said 2018 to 2019. Yeah. Now I was still with ES, I was still with ESPN. This is how messed up I was. And, and, and how hard it was is like, I was still getting paid a lot of money to not work, but that was such a mind job. Cause that, you know, I never did it for the money and my routine was so interrupted and I can unpack that a little bit more later, but I was still with ESPN, but, but, but was unable to appreciate the blessing that that, that stretch was for all the anxiety about what was next and all the resentment about what had just happened. But go ahead, Donnie. Sorry. I just want to uh, clarify it. I was, I was still there, but just not as prominent. Yeah, I was just going to say, what was with all of that happening? Did you have mm -hmm. a lowest point? I mean, Darren and I have lowest Ooh. points. They were the a result of an addiction, which was which mu much of it was self-inflicted. But can you take us to maybe your lowest point? Ooh, man. Okay. And, and the reason I struggle to pick one out is because it was such a stretch. Like, I don't know. I don't know that there was one ground zero or, or you know, um, I'd have to think about it. Um, I just know that I was a, I was a shell of myself. I, I would say I was just in a fog for a long time and I just couldn't, I, I felt like a prisoner. I think somebody wrote about it and they said, you know, this, the, the, these gold plated handcuffs that I had, I was making a shit ton of money to do nothing. And I, I okay, this isn't a point Donnie, but this is a, I guess this is an example. I stopped watching sports altogether because I couldn't watch sports because for 15, for, for almost 20 years, I had consumed sports through the prism of somebody who was, was a part of that machine as far as, well, I'm watching this game and I'm formulating opinions and thoughts and crystallizing my, my perspective and my commentary 
that I'm going to now present to the masses tomorrow. I got a show to do. I got a job to do. And so I had to go to restaurants, for example, and make sure that my back was to the television because I couldn't watch ESPN because it was triggering. You know, when I was at home, you know, my favorite event is the NFL draft. It's my favorite sporting event, which speaks to the nerd that I am. And I couldn't watch the NFL draft because all I could think about was the years that I was a part of the NFL draft coverage. I couldn't watch, you know, any of the talk shows because all I would think about was I should still be doing that. I should still I should still be I should still be a part of that. All it did was remind me of, 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 of open those old wounds and remind me of that, of that, of that, of that trauma. You know, I, I had to distance myself from sports for a long time uh, until I was pulled back in it uh, in 2020. You know, it, my, and my son actually brought me back into it, to be honest with you, because I realized that I was robbing him of some experiences with his father. And I, and I got back into sports when I started to kind of view it through his eyes and the innocence of his eyes. Um, and, you know, took him to some games and watched some games with him as he grew older and he's 15 now, but he was just starting to really get into it when I would stop being selfish about it and saying, all right, I don't want to watch it because it was hurting me, but the joy that he was getting out of it and the, and the bonding that we were able to experience that also brought me back into sports. But I would say, you know, and, and if a moment comes to me, I'll share it. Like, you know, I, I can't remember like one out of the many sleepless nights. I can't remember one, uh, you know, out of the many, it was a time when I just I, I couldn't go a day without going down that that hole, that rabbit hole. I couldn't, you know, and, and mind you, I still live in Connecticut. I'm still a stone's throw away from ESPN. And somebody told me a long time ago, you can't heal where you got sick. And so I would drive past that place and I would have to almost like cut off my peripheral vision so that I didn't look in that direction. Like it was some hard, difficult shit. Like I was like, my, like my, my head is just, was just like, I had so many thoughts and, and I kept flashing back to moments and what could I have done differently? And was it, was it really my fault? And you know, how could this have happened to me? And like, y'all remember that movie Kill Bill volume two, when the bride finally meets Bill at the end and she said, you know, could you do that? Yes but I never thought you could do that to me. Somewhere along the line, I got it twisted that I, I would never be shown the door, you know? And I don't know if it's because I thought I was so good or because I had such a long tenure, but it was like, I was completely mindfucked, <laughs> you know, for the longest stretch of time. It, it's really, I guess time is the point, like time heals all wounds. And, you know, once I started to kind of like just really move forward and really embrace where I was as opposed to looking back on where I had come from and, and where I thought I should still be. Once that unlocked, that, that changed everything for me. And I'll tell you what, I don't miss it at all. I not a, you know, not a, I never sit around and say, Oh, I wish I was still there. Never. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm glad. And the funny thing is for a long time, I said, this goes back to ego for a long time. I said, Oh, I want to spend 15 years at ESPN and leave when I was, when I'm 40 years old, I spent 15 years at ESPN and left when I was 40 years old. It was the how that I left that messed me up. I wanted to be the one to break up with them. I wanted to be the one to say, you know what? It's been real. I'm on the bigger and better. I had no idea that I was going to take a buyout and kind of leave with a whimper. You know, I thought I'd get a cake and shit and a special and a, a montage of all my greatest moments. You know what I mean? Like, nah, player, that ain't how it ends for all of us. Everybody came right off into the sunset. But I remember the sun shining real bright the day I decided I'm not just going to sit here in limbo. 
I'm going to leave. And I drove off and I remember the weather, the birds were singing, the weather was beautiful. And I handed my ID badge into the security guard for the last time. And I felt so free for a moment. I still had some trauma to work through after that, but I felt free for that moment. And um, now I just feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I was supposed to go through all that for a reason to be here with y'all right now, man. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. game. <laughs> Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Oh, man. Wow, I got that marinade for a second. Sorry, I, I, I hope I'm not rambling too much, man. It's just you know, y'all just y'all asking great questions. No, no, that's <laughs> just, it's just so, it's just so, it's just, it's just so, it's just so powerful, you know. Like I, man, I have a gold-plated handcuffs experience myself. Getting to the NFL, drafted, uh, I'm with the Baltimore Ravens. Every yeah. single goal that could be on a sheet of paper, I've checked off, and I've never, never been more miserable making great money. You know, everybody knows who I am. Everybody from my hometown holds me in a certain, puts me on a pedestal because of 
what I've done. And I was like, this is all I've ever wanted. And yeah, it ends up being the most painful internally to the point, to the point where I wanted to self-sabotage it and not wanted to succeeded in self-sabotaging it because not only was I struggling with, do I even deserve this? But this is, it was so much pain of like, this is what I've been searching for all my life. And this is all that it was to stomach. That was, was a lot. And when I got banned from the league for a year, go to rehab, come back, get a job working at Sprouts. Like there's no intention on me ever returning to football. Like, wow. I, I was, I was like you, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to watch football games. I'm right. not trying to go to my college or my high school and be like, this is a guy that made it to, and I, I wanted nothing to do with any of that, but it was literally the, the authentic joy in the relationship with the guy that I was training with. Uh, his name is Nequay Mack and getting out there back on the field and just feeling the grass underneath my feet, you know, f- running through the same drills um, and just being immersed in the moment of just improving my craft. We were sharing the field with a high school team, uh, seven yeah. on 17. They let us get like the 20 yards of the end zone and we just running drills. And it's just like getting the appreciation for just the work of what I'm doing, not necessarily where I'm going and how it looks or whether I'm in front of a lot of people or I'm in the spotlight, but just like, do I feel good about what I'm doing right here, right now in days stacked of that? allowed me to not only return to the game, but return to the game with a purpose. I'm not just here to entertain you. I'm here to have a platform and to attract attention to me, somebody that's been broken, somebody that's been hurting, somebody that's done the worldly success thing and achieved everything, but felt meaningless on the inside. Like I need to get these words out of me. I need to get this story out of me because somebody needs to hear this because we're believing lies. We're believing lies about ourselves and the narratives we tell ourselves and just overall what we think life should be and and what a success is. And if I think about, if only I didn't have to go through it, but now I'm like, shame on me for thinking if I didn't have to go through it, because going through it has turned into the most beautiful perspective shifter for me. And I know, I know Donnie feels the same way. Like if somebody's writing their story right now and you listen to this, like it's not going to come free of pain. It's not going to come free of disappointment. It's not going to come free of, um, heartbreak at times, but right. it, it's going to get better. And it sounds cliche and it's hard to believe in the moment because I look at people like, man, yeah. whatever, when they tell me that, but it became yeah. true for me and it's still true for me to this day. Your, your test was a testimony, man. That, that's that's beautiful. Um, did you suffer from embarrassment? Because I know I, I know I struggle with embarrassment when I was going through it. Because even though were there things that I could have done differently or ways I could approach approach my situation differently? Yes. You know, do I have some regrets about things that I wish would have gone differently? Yes. But a lot of things were a lot of the way that everything played out. And it's not that I'm pointing a finger. I'm saying it was things beyond my control. You know what I'm saying? Like it just that, that had nothing to do with me, which is also part of ego. It's like realizing that it's not really about you. But I when when I was kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, put in a corner, some would say made an example of, which is a whole other conversation. I thought it was a referendum or an indictment on my ability or lack thereof. Well, I must not be the shit if they could just like kick me to the curb like this. You know, this must be because I'm not that good because they wouldn't do that to X, Y, or Z. And then going back to, like I said earlier, like coming back or trailing or losing according to who's scoreboard, it's like the outside world definitely let me know that it, I, that I, that I took an L. 
that I that I had fallen off, you know, that, it, you know, was writing my story for me. And, and this was the end. You know, it took a, a while. And then one of the best things somebody said to me, my friend, Jane McManus, uh, at the time she was in charge of communication. She's a you know very successful sports writer at the time. She's at Seton Hall now, I believe. But at the time she was at uh, Marist College and she had me teach an interviewing class for like half a semester. But I remember laying on, literally laying on her couch and kind of just like pouring my heart out to her. And she said, your problem is you are looking at yourself through their eyes as in through ESPN's eyes. And that convicted me. And I realized that, you know, it had nothing to do with what I was or who I wasn't, what I could do or what I couldn't do. It was, it was, it was bigger than me. And, and once I got over like that feeling of shame, I was able to receive a lot of the flowers that people have for me. And like you said, start to be that inspiration that people need for me to be and lean into that more again, you know, keeping with the scoreboard thing. It's like, yeah, no, it's, it's like the game ain't over. Maybe I am trailing either in my own mind or in the from the world's perspective, you know, according to whatever scoreboard, you know, but I'm still in the game, you know, I'm still in the game. I'm still in the fight. You know, it's still time on the clock. I don't know how much time, but, it, but if I'm getting up every day. There's still time on the clock for me to, for me to do something with. There's still plays to be made, you know? And so now the fulfillment comes from every, every meeting, every email, you know, and, and I, and also, man, like, I love how you talked about that process. You, you felt, it's not like you fell in love with the process of just getting better every day. You know, it wasn't the fame. It wasn't the lights. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the glory. It was just the, the love of the game, right? The adoration, the outside adoration, like Donnie talked about earlier, that external validation wasn't doing it for you. That wasn't fueling you. You had to find your own fuel. Like, and for me, being on camera, being on television, like, and it, it was, I never got caught up in people recognizing me. I never got caught up with what people said, or because I always know it could work. It could work both ways. But for me now, going back to that question of how it's fulfilling now, it's like, man, every email, every meeting, every possibility of every project, every discussion, every relationship, all that stuff is like, I, I love it. I love. I love the process of building something, of building something that I can call my own, of, of empowering other people to tell their stories, of amplifying marginalized voices, of giving people the same shot that I needed once upon a time to get where I wanted to go. Like, I'm in, I'm in such a better place than I otherwise would have, I guess. And, and the story's still not over. The, the, come, the comeback, quote unquote, I'm putting it in air quotes, is still in process. In progress, I beg your pardon. It's still a process. I'm still a work in progress. A bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. And I think that... Uh process you're in now has kind of led you to inflection point. So can you tell us a little yeah. bit about where you're at now? And I'm kind of curious where you came up with that name. So um, this would have been 2017. I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to be admitted to the 21st class of the Aspen Institute's Henry Crown Fellowship. One of the, um, I guess, the missions of the fellowship is to find professionals who are at inflection points in their lives and careers and find people who are using their resources and their relationships to help close the gap between the world's problems and solutions. You can tell I've said that a few times because I kind of got it memorized. <laughs> and so as y'all know, that phrase inflection point became really popular during the 2020 presidential election. Um, but, you know, I, I, I had it first because I, you know, named my company inflection point entertainment. Um, not only was I inspired to name my company Inflection Point Entertainment based off of me being at 
a personal inflection point, which nobody puts a shelf life on that inflection point. You know, I was on, I, I was on it, you know, personally and professionally, but professionally from like 2018 to, I don't know, I'm still in it in many respects, right? You said, you've said previously that the uncomfortable part is when the story gets good. That's another way of talking about the inflection point, like that point of change um, when things change or in some cases when shit hits the fan is when the story really gets good. And so I'm drawn, I like to start stories there. I'm drawn to stories of inflection points within individuals, within industries, within in institutions. Um, and so that, that was the inspiration for the name of the company. Yeah, you're you're an amazing storyteller. There's no doubt about that. With you know everything you. that you've experienced, just like us, has led us to this beautiful moment of connection and having meaningful conversations, and then creating a platform that's allowing Darren and I not only to share our stories, but for other people to share their stories and you to share your story. It's a it's a beautiful moment that we're at. Can you talk a little bit about some of the projects? other than ours that you've undertaken. Yeah. Inflection point entertainment. We are, uh, we like to call ourselves genre and platform agnostic, which is another way of saying we will tell cool stories, no matter the, the platform, no matter the subject matter. In addition to the inflection network, the inflection podcast network, uh, we have several feature films in development. We have scripted series in development, documentaries in development. And like, we just like to tell cool stories. And, and like we say amongst ourselves, we like to, you know, do dope shit with cool people <laughs> and I, and you guys fit the bill, you know what I mean? And so, and more than anything is like empower and amplify and elevate, uh, enlighten, uh, and entertain. Those are some of our, uh, North stars when it comes to the content that we're developing and the stories that we're creating, the stories that we're telling. Well, man, I speak for so many people that are listening today. When I say that we appreciate the way that you responded when shit hit the fan, in the way that you're continuing to respond and, and write your story. It's been, it's just been incredible to have this conversation with you, man. I would want to ask you if there's somebody that's been listening, they may be overwhelmed with a lot of information and story and perspective today. If they could take away one thing today, uh, what would you leave them with? Keep pushing, just keep pushing. And, and I think it goes back to something that you said earlier and something that I believe in is, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta love the process. You got to love the craft. Like you can't love the results. If you, if you love the results, those come and go, though, that, that gratification can be delayed. You know, if you, if you're in anything for recognition, if you're in it for the money, if you're in it for fame, if you're in it for glory, that can all be fleeting. You come and go and it can be taken away like that. But your love and your passion for what you're called to do, your love and your passion for your purpose, that's up to you to maintain. And so I would say, you know, when it, when it gets hard, like try to just rediscover and get reconnected with why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. Cause that, that's what makes it worth it. Like, you know, I, I just love telling stories regardless of whether whatever platform I had and, and, and whether it was taken or how it was taken, whatever platform I'm on or will be on. It's like nobody could, nobody could take away my ability and my passion and my love for, for storytelling. And so, yeah, like, just, you know, just don't lose your love and have faith, have faith in yourself, have faith in a higher power uh, have faith, or the universe that you prefer uh, or whatever God you serve. It's like just understand that there's a plan for your life, that that God has plans, you know, that has plans for you and, and, and plans to give you hope in the future and, and, and to prosper you and not to harm you, you know. And so that that's what I just leaned into. And it, it ain't easy. It definitely ain't easy. But 
I think you said this earlier, Darren, it, you know, it's, but it, but it's worth it in the end. And, and all that all that pain is is preparing you. It's molding you for something else because I just move differently now. You know, I move, I move with a different urgency, with a different purpose, with a different peace. Um, and I didn't always have it, but I'm grateful for it now. Um, I'm grateful for this entire journey and, and I'm excited. Another phrase I love is, you know, that drew me to you guys showing what you're doing is like, is knowledge. Somebody told me that knowledge is the only thing that you can give away and not lose it. And so I love anybody that's in the business of just passing on knowledge and passing on wisdom, right? And so when I first got to left ESPN and joined a startup, and that lasted seven weeks, that's another podcast. The, one of the partners at the startup said, you don't work for anybody anymore. Decide what you want your days to look like. Decide what you want your weeks to look like, your months, your years. And that's always stuck with me. So even if you're drawing a paycheck from somebody, even if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't have your own company or whatever, even if you work at a nine to five, still like I would, I would to answer your question, Darren, lean into that. Like you decide how you want your days to look and your, and your, and your weeks and your months and your years to look as best you can under your circumstances. And, and, and it, again, even if you punch in a clock, even if you on somebody else's payroll, shift your perspective to I work with them, not for them. Like you're working for yourself. You're working for you're answering to a higher authority. Like don't don't just don't just be miserable in a job. Like always be walking in your purpose and use that job as a means to an end. And the doors of the church are open. <laughs> as a fellow grandson of a preacher, um, I feel like anybody listening to this conversation today is going to leave with a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Michael, thank you for your time, and your testimony. My brother Donnie, I love you, man. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Comeback Stories. Make sure you reach out and tell somebody that we've come back and that we're going to keep coming back. And you can check us out wherever you download podcasts. Watch us, listen for us on the Inflection Point YouTube page. And we're going to catch you guys next week. Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway.